good afternoon, good morning to some of you. Uh, this is uh, John Carroll speaking. I'm the CEO and founder of the Service Council. Welcome to today's uh, episode of the In Service podcast series. I am so incredibly pleased uh, to be joined by a couple of panelists. Uh, I'm the beneficiary of adding a panelist here as we went through planning and preparation. Um, and I'll introduce you in just a few short minutes here to uh, our, our esteemed panelists here. Um, but uh, today's discussion is built around a really important topic, the, the, the topic of visual and generative AI. It's becoming more and more popular. It's, it took the world by storm with chat GPT and all this, this stuff that was happening in our, in our personal lives. And um, my goodness, uh, it's something that is raising up uh, in terms of uh, inquiry and and discussion amongst our members. So a really important discussion and and one that um, is participated in today by by two really esteemed panelists here. Uh, this in-service podcast is brought to you by TechSea, our partner, and I'm really pleased to be joined by David Troll. David is a board member of the Service Council. Uh, David is the Executive Vice President and Chief Customer Officer. He's also the General Manager of North America for TechSea. Welcome, David. Thank you, John. And I'm also joined by Ari Rosenstein. Ari is the Vice President of Marketing for TechSea. A very warm welcome, Ari. Thank you, John. Outstanding. So this podcast is streaming live on LinkedIn. Um, it will be recorded. It is accessible on whatever podcast platform you access your podcast from, whether it's YouTube, Apple, Spotify, or something else. It's also consumable by way of our website, servicecouncil.com. Um, and what we like to do inside these discussions is create a discussion, right? So not only amongst us as panelists, but also amongst you, our listening audience, and hopefully participating audience. So if you have questions, if you'd like clarification, um, we welcome you to join this, the, the discussion by using the chat function uh, within LinkedIn. And uh, that will uh, allow us to listen, read, and react. So please feel free to uh, use that liberally and uh, we'll, we'll see if we can fit that into our discussion and, and uh, call an audible if we see something come in. All right, so here we go. Let's jump in. Uh, we've, um, we've got two esteemed panelists and, and I think it's good to get to know them first before we jump into the topic du jour. So our, our, we're gonna go alphabetical. Ari, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your professional background, a little bit about your day-to-day -day role at TechSea and, and um, yeah, we'd love to learn more about you. Sure. Um, I have spent, uh, well, I'm the VP marketing. Um, I have spent the last 20 years in SaaS software, primarily the first big chunk of that in ad tech at the time when we were looking at all those juicy uh, TV budgets and seeing how we could convert those into uh, Google and Bing bucks um, and working with some of the biggest brands in the world, um, like the top retailers target the Zappos's, Walmarts of the world and really helping them build up their enterprise uh, ad, um, ad spend and campaigns and, and, you know, really getting that going from a time when it was pretty early and then uh, made the shift uh, a couple of years ago into sort of the AI data space and came across a really cool company called Texi. Saw an amazing uh, sort of demo about how uh, we were helping one of the largest telcos in the world offer better field service through uh, AI or computer vision AI. And I was like, I got to be a part of that. And that's how I got here at Texi. 
Awesome. Outstanding. And David, I uh, would love to learn about your day-to-day role and a little bit more about your background because you've uh, you've had the uh, the benefit of working within industry as a service executive, but also now on the technology side. So you've kind of straddled both sides of this equation here. Some cool uh, learnings along that process, I'm sure. Yeah, well, certainly, John. And, um, you know, as you said, I've, I've lived on both sides of the fence, but um, when I think about my role in tech, I mean, it really, and, and we'll probably get to this later, it goes back to being a sci-fi fan as a kid and just being fascinated with technology and how it evolves, because some of that stuff is what we're seeing happen today in the real world. Uh, I, I had a weird path into technology and into service. Um, I started as an analyst and I was a headhunter, which is a great way to learn about people and performance, but I was mostly working in the tech industry. And then uh, as I got into sales management, I really did my first early phase startup scale up in 2008, which um, in hindsight sounds like genius, right? Uh, go do a startup at the advent of a, the Great Recession. Uh, <laughs> what was really uh, instructive and informative was it was field service. We were helping companies adapt to a changing environment and do more with less and continue to meet customer service expectations, even in the midst of belt tightening. And so being able to deliver SaaS software that could do that was you know, profound. Um, and sure, the recession challenged us, but, but we could help companies get through it. And so the outcome there was great. We got acquired by a big uh, software company, in that case, Oracle. And a couple of years later, as you said, I found myself working for a client from those days, Dish Network, and going and helping them build out a field service business. So from working both in a service operation, working with service companies and in customer experience and journey management software, TechSee, as Ari said, when I heard about it, I heard about it while I was working at Dish. I heard about it in the context of COVID, which suddenly was again this, this existential threat to service operations being able to deliver for their customers. And I just had to be a part of it. Um, But not just because we had software that helped you do remote support. At that point, an AI strategy was essential for me. And it's really interesting to see how the market's turned. We've spent the past few years pushing. And we see with, as you mentioned, chat GPT and generative AI, the market feels like it's starting to pull a little bit. And it's going to be fun to talk about that today. Yeah, we're we're gonna dive into if if this is the year that it will become impactful to service businesses and organizations. So I, uh, we've got uh, two of the best uh, uh, people to talk about that with your um, how integral you are with customers and in the work that you're doing. Now, for for many, I'm gonna go back to you, Ari. You know, TechSee has become a brand that's very familiar mm-hmm. in terms of the field service and broader service space. But for our listening audience that might be unfamiliar, could you just give a quick overview of, of TechSee for the benefit of our listening audience? Sure. Um, and I'll even tell you a cool founder story. Um, and this isn't my story. It's this, it, you know, a lot, I've, I've been at companies where we tend to embellish the uh, founder stories, but this, <laughs> this is actually true. Um, one of our co-founders um, was having a really, really hard time uh, helping his mother-in-law who lived two and a half hour drive away uh set up her internet and it kept disconnecting and they couldn't figure out what's going on and he drove down there and spent a weekend you know it's it's a five hour round trip so he's going back and forth trying to help her get set up and he's he said there's got to be a better way at the same time his good mountain biking buddy um, was also having internet troubles um 
calling into his internet service provider, couldn't figure out what was going on. They just graded, upgraded him to the higher speed. Finally, they send a technician to his house. The guy opens the door, takes one look at his router and says, oh, I see the problem. We upgraded you, but we didn't give you the upgraded modem. So, you know, within 20 seconds of sending a guy and looking and seeing that he had the wrong piece of equipment for the service he had, the guy went back to his truck, brought him the, the router, all was good. They went mountain biking the next day, said there's got to be a better way, said, hey, what happens if we could actually see that technology? And that's how we got the name Texi. Um, and they built a solution um, where we could launch live video um, to really help anybody guide somebody else uh, to solve a technical problem, or in this case, customer support or field support. And then on top of that, uh, the, the first person was just being able to launch the live video. How do we make it scalable? Let's go appless. Let's do it so it works on anybody's smartphone. Now let's add some augmented reality on top of that. So we've got some cool markers and arrows and things. And then it kind of spawned in this whole sort of interactive visual platform that, that serves the service industry, no matter self-service or field service or customer service, um, that you can put video pretty much anywhere. And that's really our mission is to deliver that platform. You want to put video inside a chat? No problem. You want to put video inside a chat bot and have it ask customers to automatically take pictures? That's what we're doing right now. Um, you want to have the AI analyze um, and understand what's going on in that picture and then have the AI give a recommendation about how to fix something? We're doing that. We're doing that every day now. So I, I like to start with the founder story. Um, I think it makes for a good podcast. Um, but but that's really how we've evolved and we really see the future as, you know, being able to to bring vision to anywhere that you can really help people. That's outstanding. And and um, it, it makes perfect sense that you're the VP of marketing because you're a great storyteller. So that was outstanding. I appreciate that. And David, okay. um, if I could turn to you in terms of TechSea's market positioning, where are you seeing strongest market growth right now from a industry or a segmentation perspective? What what has been uh, what have been areas of growth uh, in in market penetration for TechSea? Yeah, it's a great question, John. We um, we are certainly seeing strong growth across the board, and some of that's on a direct basis, and some of that's through OEM partners mm -hmm. um, that have opened up verticals that we weren't particularly focused in. Um, and so we see a lot happening in the traditional early adopters, uh, field service, customer service. You're going to see telcos are typically one that get on board with this stuff first because they are constantly providing remote service and they, uh, you know, they're trying to avoid rolling a truck. It's the highest cost to serve. Uh, but we're seeing manufacturing and consumer electronics and retail. You know, we just, uh, last quarter picked up, a. um, a solution uh, and launched our partnership with McDonald's to support their in-store equipment, right? And we've known for a long time that point of sale equipment and kiosks as they proliferate in QSR, quick serve restaurants, that's a huge market, but they weren't first to the door to actually adopt some of these remote support solutions. So we're seeing a pretty broad-based um, adoption, definitely different cycles in different geographies. And that's... Um, you know, we are seeing what I've seen a pretty traditional, you know, the, the U.S. responded to COVID very quickly by investing and then slowed down. Europe kind of froze a little bit and then dove in. LATAM follows a little bit behind that, as does APAC. But, you know, everywhere we're seeing the same pressures, which is, you know, do more with less, serve our customers quickly 
And as Ari said, it, you know, if we can do it better, faster, cheaper, everybody wins. Yeah. And, and so I know that's kind of a general answer to a, a specific question, but we're not seeing one particular area that's spiking. We're really seeing a broad-based adoption with some laggards in places like utilities that you'd expect. Yeah, Except well, for yeah. EV, by the way. Sorry, EV. I'm, I'm, I'm countering myself. There, there's definitely some uh, activity going there. Outstanding. Outstanding. Thanks for the overview, both of you. And and just building off of some of your commentary, David, uh, you know, consumerization continues to impact channel preference and how customers are seeking support. Um, this movement left in terms of shifting left to support the the customer in that remote setting is becoming more and more uh, of a priority from the customer's standpoint, but also we see service leaders prioritizing a, a remote infrastructure or a remote support uh, platform, if you will. Um, and so uh, very, uh, very well positioned to, to help both sides of the market there. Let me, let me shift to um, some recent research trends and then I'll position our first question here um, or our, our second question, I should say. According to the 2023 Service Leaders Agenda Survey, this is an annual macro level trends survey we launched towards the service executive. Um, we gathered over 100 responses and we typically asked them, what are the internal and external pressures? What are the, the key focus areas and investments? Um, what sets up success for not only next year, but the next five years? Um, and the, the, the response this year varied from previous years when we asked them, what are their key focus areas? Uh, the number one area was service operations performance management, followed by service innovation, followed by the expansion of the service portfolio. The, 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 the critical ingredient to supporting all of the above is information and intelligence, as we all appreciate, right? It's the new oil, it's the new currency, um, and it's becoming a prerequisite to proactive, predictive infrastructure, right? Um, it's kind of interesting from our perspective that that cost and customer experience have kind of shifted a little bit lower in priority. David, what, what do you make of these observations at the service leadership level? What, what are your viewpoints? Yeah, I, I think this is a pendulum swing that we'll see forever and ever in the market. And the difference now, John, is that some of the capabilities for predictive proactive service are out there. And if the business models catch up, I think we'll continue to see that shift. But every few years, we're either going into care for the customer or contain costs. And this is just a slightly more advanced version of that pendulum swing, right? So I think you know it was, it was very clear that during COVID with all the fiscal stimulus, money was flowing, people stuck at homes, service delivery was challenging, but it wasn't suffering from lack of resources except for people afraid to go into homes or, or, or whatever. So sure. the, the, um, the pendulum swing back that we were all expecting that looked like a looming recession, right? It's not clear that it's going in that direction. We were starting to see buyer hesitation among corporate IT buyers as 2022 was progressing. We thought that this was gonna be a, a very uh, cost cutting focus year. Doesn't seem like it's turning that way right now. I think you're right. And it's, it's most interesting because whether you call it servitization or proactive, predictive, all of those capabilities are finally settling in that companies can do something with them. And we just see it as waves on the beach, just you know, new companies that are catching up with it and able to deliver on it. Now, like I said, I think the business models have to follow because they haven't all figured that up yet, figured that out yet. 
Uh, Ari, what are your reactions to, to some of David's observations in the market? Maybe some of the things that you might be hearing from customers around some of these key priorities. Are they in line with what you're hearing? Are they, are they, do they differ from what you're hearing? Yep, I will uh, actually relate a conversation I had yesterday um, with the parent company of one of our customers, Hayer, um, out of uh, China, they own General Electric, um, and GE is one of our customers through a partner. Um, and um, I said, so like, you know, you're in the innovation team, what are you interested in? You know, you, you, you understand what we do. Is it cost cutting this year? Is it improving customer experience? Is it scaling up through automation? He said, yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? So if we're in that pendulum swing, like we're kind of stuck in the middle this year. Yeah. And I think also like we're coming out of the pandemic knowing that the world changed, yeah. um, but not knowing necessarily what that means. Yeah. I could tell you from a marketing perspective, like last year I was all in on events because everybody wants to meet face to face. And yep. now it's like, you know, webinars used to be cool. Then we burned them out and then it's events again. So uh, in the service industry, is it CX? Is it cost savings? Is it automation scale up? And I think yeah. that, you know, in, in your survey, John, you probably call that. That's what people are indicating is innovation. And yeah. we're saying yes to everything. Yeah. Um, the other thing I would say is we, we did a survey of consumer sentiment uh, over the summer and we found out that people are actually more likely to churn post pandemic after a bad experience. So I kind of label that and I didn't invent this term or anything, but generation now, meaning that like you, me, everybody, it's not even generation now, we're all now people. Yeah. We, we remember these bad service experiences. We want instant resolutions. Companies know this. They almost have to fight harder to keep us as a customer nowadays yeah. than they do to obtain us. So yeah. um, companies know this and, and they're thinking, okay, how can I retain these customers? How can I avoid the bad experience? Yeah. And, and that's, that's really like what I'm seeing um, from a lot of our customers. You know, as I go backwards, you know, we look at the service leaders agenda. We've done that for the last five years, the survey, and the data always tells us something different every year. In 2020, it was pandemic related. It, it, we saw the, the this, this shift towards preservation, right? So business continuity, cost reduction, how can we hold on for dear life? Following the pandemic, the emergence of, you know, a return to a growth mindset. So there was a revenue emphasis, the number one focus area in 2021. Uh, or in, in 2021 and 2022 was this this focus on revenue and growth. Um, this year, I feel like we're returning to preservation because I think there's a little bit of carefulness that's happening right now. But when I say preservation, it's not business continuity and cost reduction. It's more so how can we eliminate commoditization of experience for both our inside workforce and our external customers, right? The stakeholders on both sides. Everybody's it's, looking for an edge there. You, yeah, if totally. you can offer a good experience, that's that's a competitive differentiation. Absolutely. Sure. And I, that, yeah, oh, please, please go ahead. David. Yeah, yeah that, that it ties in so well to one of the things that you talk about a lot that we've talked about on the advisory board. It's that many of these companies are still running independent operations. The contact yeah. center is a team with a set of goals. Yep. The field service operation is a team with a set of goals, digital is a whole separate channel. And yep. the interrelationship between these two, until the systems talk, 
and the goals are aligned across those three channels, it's going to be very challenging because a, yeah. a contact center that meets its handle time objective by punting to a field visit doesn't help the bottom line. It doesn't help the customer necessarily, but it does actually check the box. And so yeah. one thing that we need to see besides systems talking, besides you know free flow of information and customers not being forced to channel surf is this elevation of goals and objectives across the operation so that everyone's pulling on the same rope in the same direction. It, it always reminds me of, a, I was at JFK with a flight that was canceled <laughs> and they canceled it when I got there, even though it hadn't left Austria eight hours earlier, they could have told me many, many times before I got <laughs> to the airport that it wasn't going, but I'm standing in line at the desk and I'm on the phone waiting to get picked up. And I'm also on the app and I'm I'm clogging up three of their channels, just trying to get an answer fast. And we do that in our shopping. We do yep. that in our service interactions. Yep. And so until those things all talk and, and bring that information together, right? You, you have people that are basically fighting their way through the forest with the machete to get to the right resolution with you as a, as a provider. And, um, and, and, and it doesn't work for consumers until the companies can really make that all happen. You're, you're so right. And consumers, and e even in a business setting, the speed, the pace of response, the, the predictive and proactive approach to supporting me, I just demand it. You know, to your point, you know, I, I started a self-chat um, to resolve a, a home uh, cable issue that I had recently. I started one and they didn't get back to me in the 10 minute window. They said they would. So I started a second one on the ninth minute. So I, I've got two self-serve chat requests happening at once. I'm on the 800 number trying to navigate the the, the call attendant uh, tree to get to someone live. And I'm on their web self-service portal as well, trying to help myself. So it's like, you know, we can do a better job of integrating these things together. So I think you make some really good points there, David. Let's go to technology, actually. You you talked about some of the, the technology orientation and, and the prioritization. According to a, a, another recent survey, we just conducted the 2023 State of the Market Digital Transformation Survey. And there's some signals that are coming through in terms of the intention of digital transformations where are they focused in, in terms of prioritization? Um, we asked service leaders that question and the number one response was to be more responsive to customers. The number two was to be more valuable to customers. And the number three was to be more efficient. Um, it, it, no shock that new and expanded technology investment, investments are really pointed towards intelligence and information. So we see business intelligence and knowledge management and artificial intelligence. Even field service management and CRM platforms for that 360 degree view of the customer, we see some consolidation efforts there. What, what are some of the recent observations with respect to how service executives are prioritizing or evolving their technology approach? I'm gonna leave that open for whoever wants to jump in first, David or, or Ari. Ari, you wanna go? Sure, I, got... I, can, I can hop in. Um, so the one thing is like, I think there's some real visionary leaders out there, and I see this coming from the C-suite, in that treat treat a ticket, treat you know a customer's problem as you would almost a sale. There's a funnel there, you know. If in sales it goes from like business development, you know, from marketing creates the lead to business development, you know, warms it up to sales, closes it to customer success, like keeps them as a customer. If you look at your customer in a holistic uh, you take a holistic viewpoint, 
they want to invest in technologies, you know, on the automation side, like, and, and, and there's been no, I think, hesitation. Everybody's tried chatbots previously because they thought maybe it'll save us money and maybe improve experience. But now it's like, how can chatbots actually move into a contact center? Let's say with your, you know, cable problem, if you start in chats, maybe they ask you to take some pictures of the problem. Maybe they want to see the device or the serial number. Then they can move that over to the agent. So the second the agent picks up, you don't have to repeat your story. I think that's the hardest part about offering service yeah. is that content is, is keeping the continuity. And then if they have to send somebody there, the worst thing is to send a guy out to your house or, or a gal and um, they have the wrong part. Yeah. You know what I mean? So then yeah. there's there's opportunities along that chain to create a bad experience multiple times. But if you take a holistic view about we're closing successful tickets, um, we shouldn't measure the call center on just like getting off the phone. Um, if that means, you know, bumping up, you know, truck rolls, we should be yeah. looking at like cases closed. And that's what I really see from uh from, from the innovators here, they're taking a big, big, strong look and putting first time fixed rate, first call resolution rates yeah. um, at the forefront um, and whatever technology is needed to, to help get to those metrics. It's become very common for me to download my chat history whenever I have a self-service chat function that I enable for whatever consumer uh, experience that I have. Just mm -hmm. to re reflect back on it and maybe use it for a blog because of the failure that happens inside that. So there, there's you're right. I, the, the the connection of the experience through so that it's not just a pocket of modernization that's happening in one area of that customer experience that it's integrated into a an easy seamless transition from one channel to the next until that customer is satisfied. I, I think you make a couple of really good points there, Ari. And David, I think with like yeah, existing and future technologies too, it's really possible to get you to solve your own problem, even just from chat. Yeah. It yeah. might be chat GPT, you know, understands what you're asking for and brings you the right article from the knowledge base. Yeah. It might be that you have to take a picture to show something so that the computer can understand to get there. Yeah. Um, and it might be that that visual history can move all along the, you know, the funnel of service as it were, so that even by the time technician hops in his truck, he's got the right equipment with him. David, any any additional viewpoints from your side on the technology side? Yeah, I, I'd add two quick things that I think complement what you and Ari said. The first one is, um, I remember doing a keynote at an event in Australia in like 2012 or 13, and we were getting recognized. I was at TOA at the time, we are getting recognized for some of our success with the client in region. And the other award was going to another company, which was the local fire and rescue organization. And they had just completed their digital transformation by deploying iPhones and sending tickets out with text messages. And that was their definition of digital transformation at the time. And so it's this big umbrella that has so little clarity about what it actually means, which systems, which processes, and how to measure benefits. And so what you often get is you measure it the same way the company measures results, which is often growth, you know, churn, satisfaction, things that are traditional business objectives. Yeah. We see a lot of that to Ari's point about the C-suite. They may issue an edict about digital transformation, but making departments and the company work towards specific measurable outcomes is how you know if you're getting there or not. Yeah. And 
in this case, um, you know, we, we now TechSea specifically empower some of those in, in interesting ways, right? As Ari said, adding site or vision to existing channels, it, it, it supercharges them, yeah. right? Facilitating service continuity so that if you start in a self-service scenario and it fails, you have an instant warm transfer into a live interaction. And that person, agent, tech, whatever we call them, is knowledgeable about what you attempted because they can see it. You're actually creating these successful outcomes that you can measure in handle time, first call resolution, right? Avoided truck rolls, even though what you're actually pitching is just this visual layer or this AI powered visual layer into existing channels. We're not trying to create a whole new channel. We're not inventing the IVR or the chatbot, but what we're able to do with real digital, real interactive self-service is start to hit some of those company objectives that as long as the buyers are looking for those and measuring success the same way, we see some really cool stuff happening in the market. Outstanding. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, all sorts of data out there in terms of how uh, how our brains process visual uh, much better than text. And, and so there's some some really uh, cool supporting data I know that's out there that can uh, help talk about the importance of visual as well. I'm sure you have those data stats that you could share with our audience at some point. Um, let's go to the front line. Um, so uh, the, the, the field service engineers, their job is changing. It's becoming more challenging. Um, we do uh, an annual survey called the Voice of the Field Service Engineer, and technicians uh, agree with that sentiment. 84% believe knowledge, uh, the knowledge requirements to be effective has increased. 82% believe the work requires greater technology knowledge. And 65% believe that the products that are being serviced are much more complex, right? So those, it's kind of the trifecta in terms of increasing the difficulty of their day-to-day -day job. And when we ask them, what do they not like about their job? The, the, the second least enjoyable part of the technician's day behind paperwork and admin is the time they spend finding information, right? So they get stuck. Um, God help us, they're, they're relying on phoning a friend instead of all the sophisticated uh, tools that we're giving them in terms of information access 81% um, of the time. So how do we eliminate that old antiquated methodology uh, that is, is not supportive of you know, resource utilization, if you will. Um, but they're, they're attempting to solve this time they spend finding information more expediently. Can you talk about how have you heard the front lines job changing, the role of the field service engineer evolving? And David, I'm going to start with you, if you don't mind, because you've had the benefit of serving in a, a, a field service leadership position and then now on the technology side, enabling uh, access to such tools. Can you talk a little bit about how you see the technician evolving? Sure. Yeah. Uh, this was the problem that we were both creating and solving simultaneously uh, at, at DISH in the on-tech business. And not that we were, you know, the arsonist firemen, but we were trying to evolve our service organization, both from a just pure service to uh, service and sales, right? Yeah. The best time to create a, a, an upsell opportunity is after a successful service interaction. And we had phenomenal results, you know, year over year, JD Power winning results in the home. But we were also dealing with a systemic decline in satellite TV business. And so we were multi-skilling our techs to do smart home installs and 
uh, appliance repair and TV, hanging TVs on the wall and all these other things that were useful for the consumer and were adjacent enough that we could train them. So we were creating that problem live in real time and, and some phenomenal people doing some exceptional work in building that on-tech business. That challenge was, was not just a technical skill challenge. It was hard for the, the mindset shift for some people that viewed their role as just, I just fix things into I service. And then for my service into service, part of service is expanding the, the range of services that we can offer. So that that's nothing new. Uh, and some of that's the evolving workforce, right? And we yeah. won't go into all of the silver tsunami and the changing demographic, but field operations and field service is still uh, older male in populated uh, industry. And it's not always as comfortable embracing new technology, new, new skills. And so a lot of what we worked on and a lot of what we're doing here at TechSeed today with some of the AI facilitating uh, knowledge transfer and, and guided assistance in the field and job verification is all in the service of that. It's really about how do we take something that's an expert, an AI model that's precise and consistent and have it interact with someone in a way that it can coach them through the early phases. Maybe you're certified, but you're not proficient. And then validate the work at the end so that whether there's a problem or not, the AI has confirmed the job was done properly and they can go on about their day. And what you do is you give them confidence. It becomes a, a, a tool that supports them in their learning. And you also give the company confidence in the consumer that it's been done properly. So you know this, uh, technology supporting people. We've been doing it for years, right? And training tools and distributing work orders back to the, the iPhone example, right? And, and sending, but, but now that it can see what you're doing and, and give you personalized assistance, I see that happening much more effectively in this next wave in front of us. Outstanding. Outstanding. Ari, any additional supplemental? Yeah, I, would, I would say, look at the evolution of the fridge. Like, you know, if somebody is a repair, a, a fridge repairman in the 1980s, they got to know compressors, fans, you know, and, and the cooling system and the, you know, uh, the chemicals inside. Then suddenly you add the water filters and the ice dispensers, then it becomes more mechanical and, you know, pressures and clogs and hard water and, you know, those type of problems. And now we're cramming like computers into, into fridges and touch screens. And, you know, if it's IOT, you know, maybe there's no Wi-Fi signal there. And think about having to show up on, on any given work order. If you're just repairing fridges and having to run firmware updates and replace motherboards um, and maybe, you know, an electrical component burned out and the ice makers and the actual thing, keeping our food cold. That's a lot of technology in the same box. And we're talking, you know, probably it's a 20 year evolution. And some of these guys are still on the job. So imagine like, you know, coming in as, as new tech, uh, new technicians, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of things to learn. And it's a lot more information to handle. We had a, a great comment from one of our listening and participating audience members. Uh, thank you, Aviv Atlas for your contribution around recognizing the importance and not forgetting how dedicated visual service engineers are becoming a thing. Right. So new teams are being set up to do five times their old visit quota within the comfort of their home office. And best of all, senior management now adding virtual operations to their title. 
we see a couple things with respect to this comment. Uh, we see, um, to David's point, talking about the silver tsunami and the the exodus that's happening in terms of knowledge leaving the role of the technician workforce. Uh, we see a, an alumni network establishment in a remote infrastructure happening in terms of moving to a technical support um, uh, element within the company. Um, we see that lessening the dependency on phoning another technician in the field, but having that resource inside the organization. Um, and to your point, uh, Aviv, uh, th this is uh, uh, another thing is this, you know, establishment of this remote infrastructure and this visual support team right out of their homes, right? There's, uh, you know, working from home has become uh, obviously very popular over the last couple of years. So I think you make a really strong point here. David, uh, Ari, any any uh, comments or reactions to Aviv's uh, viewpoint? This reminds me very specifically about one of our clients, again, through uh, an OEM partnership that we have with Salesforce that um, uh, ADT, and, and this is all public domain, they announced on their earnings call that they had managed to virtualize a million service calls last year, a million, right? Field visits that they were able to meet the need of the customer. And you think about the benefit of that, the impact of we got to them faster. It's always faster, right? When I don't have to travel there. And so to uh, the, the, the comment that Aviv made, um, scaling up the speed with which you can solve customer needs, you get there faster. It doesn't mean you can do everything. We know that there's still a virtue to putting your hands on the equipment for certain things, but the, the mutual benefit of a company saving on a million truck rolls and also getting to that many more customers and the customer's issues getting resolved faster, it, it, it's it's just you know it's it's the win-win that you're all looking for. The challenge, of course, is you know are you able to evolve service operations? And it's back to what we said before: are companies thinking, no, that's an agent, and this is a tech, and never the twain shall meet, or are you starting to commingle those skills? Which is well, you're a tech because you have deeper knowledge, but can we train you to coach a customer through the self-serve? Because that may be the best thing, and it also takes you out of the field because. We want to keep you and your knowledge in the company, but you don't want to be driving around in a truck for 10 hours a day anymore. So there's a real win-win here for the employees, the field service engineers, and a career pathing that I think, as you said, John, kind of to, yeah. to, to keep that knowledge base and that alumni network sometimes within the company itself. Really great viewpoints. I would just I would just add on kind of a fun note. I can't believe it's taken us this long to get here. You know, if Apollo 13 you know, has a problem and they've got their smartest guys, not up in the, in the spaceship, but down in Houston, you know, trying to fix it. Like there's the model right there. That's been around since 1970. Let's take our best technicians, <laughs> park them at, at mission central and think about how much more effective you're going to be as a service organization, being able to distribute that knowledge when and where it's needed. Yes, uh, Houston, we had a problem. I had to put it on mute to cough here. So apologies. Uh, let's let's move into uh, Ari. I love that example, by the way. You're so right. Um, let's move into and David, your viewpoints were very, very thoughtful, too. Let's move into data prioritization. So uh, building on that field service engineer survey that we conducted, we asked technicians, what are the prioritized data points and access to intelligence that would help you? Service manuals was number one, followed by knowledge base, articles, and access, followed by service ticket review um, and, and management, uh, followed by pre-visits uh, review of the service asset history, 
training videos and customer history. So there's a whole set of different inputs and outputs that are um, of priority from the technician's viewpoint. And the topic of this uh, podcast is around AI and generative and visual intelligence and how is it coming together to inform even prescriptively this guided workflow process. You, you mentioned that a little bit earlier, David. What can we can we just start with? Can you define the, these terms for our listening audience? Visual generative AI. Uh, Ari, you're telling stories. Can you tell a story around visual and 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 generative AI from a definition standpoint? I'd love to hear your viewpoint. Sure. Um, well, there, there's two. There's like the the natural language, like the Chat GPTs, which have been making you know all the buzz and noise lately, and um, we, we actually did this internally and there's a company that our, our, our head of R and D, um, actually gave us a quiz about all the different terms and things in AI, but I would butcher it if I tried to repeat it. <laughs> um, but basically we're at a point now where we can feed enough data into the machine that it can start learning and building its own, um, pathways. Um, to respond. And so if we give it enough natural language, it can respond to natural language. Um, on the visual side, what we're trying to do, what we call computer vision modeling, is say, I, I call it the where's Waldo effect. We want to tell, you know, the computer to identify something inside some sort of, uh, you know, background, be it, you know, um, especially in the service industry, what is the, uh, you know, what is the piece of equipment I'm looking at among an infinite number of backgrounds? Because if it's my home router, it could be on a wood cabinet, it could be on a mirror, it could be stuck to the back of the fridge, it could be almost anywhere in the house. So how do you teach the computer to identify just that box and then what's going on in it? That's what we're doing with, with the computer vision AI models and, and with the language, it's understand what you're asking and try to respond in, in a pattern that we would recognize as language. Um, and both of those require massive, massive amounts of data. And one of the most interesting things I think about the chat GPT is they, they basically took the entirety of the internet and fed it in there um, to get to this, this version where you and me, John, we can sign up for the open AI demo there and and just start playing with it and it's really really amazing stuff and now imagine if you are you know a company um i don't know i'll go back to the ge example for example that that has thousands of consumer good products in your house um take all those manuals feed them into chat gpt and you know have a customer i have a question about my fridge what's your fridge i don't know my fridge can you take a picture of your fridge Sure, I'll take a picture. <clears throat> the computer vision AI can recognize that identifying the equipment is, is a huge problem. And then ChatGPT can say, oh, I know which version of fridge you have. I know which model. Let's you know give you the right article. Um, I think about when I moved into my house, I put in, it was such a pain in the butt to get the kids to open and close the blinds in the morning and the evening. <laughs> so I automated some of them. And then you know one of the batteries went out in one of them and I had to find the exact Resync it with the automation switch. It took an hour and a half to find the right YouTube video, and then 90 seconds <laughs> to fix it. 
<laughs> because that model that I had was so funky in terms of holding the reset. So find identifying the equipment is 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 so crucial to being able to offer the, the right sort of solution um, that the, all that information is out there. It's delivering it again now when I need it um, yeah. and, and, and telling me, you know, how to fix the problem. Yeah, I just went through a laundry list of different inputs and outputs that you can get resource from. But the point here is that you still have to spend time navigating, sifting through, finding the right information. Is it organized correctly? Is it easy to navigate? Um, and and that like, becomes. I, I think yeah, you know in your survey with uh, sorry to cut you off. Um, no, no. In your survey um, of, of the field service engineers, you know they say having the manual is is item number one. Yeah. We could give them a Wikipedia of manuals because they are experts at identifying which fridge. They know how to, you know, open up the fridge and look at the tag or pop behind the oven if they're in your house. I don't know why I keep going to the home ones, but and pull up the tag and they know where that is. I don't know where that is. <laughs> I only saw that because, you know, I had a problem with the oven and I was watching the guy do it. Um, now, imagine you go into like an IT center or a server room and there's, you know, different models and versions and generations of servers in there. You know, I can I can sure wonder. I, I it's not it doesn't take long to guess why having the right manual across all these different pieces of equipment is going to be you know the number one requested uh, you know wish for for the the engineers. We we see proactive service approaches um, flipping its uh, focus internal to the organization more and more. We hear a lot of organizations seeking. You know, how do we track, trace, and support our engineers when and where they get stuck proactively? Um, and and um, so that whole guided workflow process has become very, very popular. Um, the enablement by making it easier for them to find the information they need when, when you have a strong understanding of the triage and diagnosis prior to a truck, a, a truck roll or a dispatch. So it, all these things kind of integrate together into a, a sophisticated platform that can make it easier to find the information to resolve the customer issue at that moment of truth. David, do you have any additional viewpoints on definitions or defining some of these things? It was really what you just said, which is every single asset that you talked about that these field service engineers wanted was really a piece of information that was codified in a specific thing. The service manual is one standard thing built in a specific way. Sometimes they're way too long and dense and and arcane knowledge base has a bunch of more real-time data service ticket is contextual and and I, the way i see this the holistic view is really about how do you as a service provider know what i need for help and where does that knowledge reside and sometimes today it's in humans right and sometimes today it's in other assets and you know as you and ari are telling your stories i'm thinking about trying to reset my mesh network yesterday and the whole reason I needed to get on to that and have a voice conversation with that agent was to explain to them what lights were on and off and what steps I'd taken, which I could have done without the agent, but yeah. she had the unique access that I needed of what to do next. So that contextual access, we can see how vision is such a powerful ingredient there. But I think more broadly that field service engineers, they need real-time contextual guidance. Sometimes it's about what's been done or what the challenge is. Sometimes it's an assist on knowledge that they don't have about how to proceed. This is where I think technology can play a huge role. And obviously it's not just, just ours. So we're excited to be a part of that, that generation. 
because to Ari's point, ChatGPT and his story is really compelling. It's the, the thing you can talk to because it's a democratized interface. It's anybody yeah. can type or talk that they can interface with it. But in the real world, what we're seeing happen is everybody's realizing that they stopped adding to the knowledge base of, of, of the GPT model a year and a half ago. And so now it's arguing with people over it being 2022. It's sure it's not 2023. Go check your phone settings, right? And it's telling people that the Super Bowl hasn't been played, even though my Eagles just lost. And we know it's been played because we're still in mourning. And so this, even with this really powerful new way that the world is experiencing AI, it has these limitations based on the yeah. inputs, how much yeah. has been given, when it's been given. So I think it's really important that we're talking about if it only had the service manual from Ari's 20 year old refrigerator, it wouldn't have anything about the circuit boards and the water <laughs> dispenser and the, the Wi-Fi connection. Right. So we yeah. have to make sure that all that data in real time is available contextually. Yep. No, absolutely. You couldn't be uh, more spot on. And, and um, <clears throat> we, uh, so let me ask a quick question. This isn't planned in part of, as part of our Q and a, Yes, no, maybe with some context. I'll give it to you both. Is this the year that that AI and generative and and visual intelligence changes the the service business, the landscape of of service business? Is is this the year? Yes, no. I'll say I can, I can uh, hop in here. Yeah, go ahead, Ari. You, you first. Please. Um, I was at uh, a conference yesterday um, where I was. Lucky enough to hear uh, one of the co-founders of one of the biggest venture capital companies in the world, uh, Viola Ventures. Mm -hmm. The guy has, the, the, their, they have 45 exits under their belts and they, they know how to invest in technology. And he said, the point in time we are right now with, with AI, generative AI, computer vision AI, reminds him of the period of time like 2004 to 2007 where social media, um, digital marketing, and um, and those sort of companies, and you know the distributed sort of like Uber's, uh, you know service, you know services, and you know the Airbnbs were just coming on board through the enablement of the internet. He said we're at that same stage right now, so we should expect that our lives are going to significantly change. Um, because of AI over the next decade. And I think we don't even realize sometimes how impactful our lives are. I choose my cell phone. I, I, I went iPhone, I'm not gloating about anything because I think it takes better pictures. You know, why does it take better pictures? Because the 20 megapixel camera on my iPhone is not too different than the Samsung because I like the way that the, the Apple AI, you know, processes and improves the picture, you know, after I take it. Um, all those little like AI tweaks are there, um, you know, even if it's, you know, calling into a call center and knowing that I have gold status and the next guy is platinum status and we're going to route <laughs> him ahead of you, uh, based off of the, uh, um, off of just the phone number you're calling in from those things are, are, are changing our lives and sometimes in very subtle ways, but this is, this is the beginning. Absolutely. Let, let's let's go to a, a different topic. And it, it was about, David, you mentioned democratization of data. And it, we, we heard a, a, a healthy debate during our board meeting at the symposium around interoperability and the importance of, 
you know, uh, mingling uh, the the data sets into an architecture and a language that is understandable with all these different, you know, uh, data points and inputs and outputs. What what are you seeing? What are you hearing in terms of those organizations that are challenged by sifting through all the data, making it uh, sort of uh, easy to you know operate in, in, you know integrate with other data sets? What are you hearing about this topic of interoperability? Yeah, I'm. I'm. It's a great question, John. As we talked about with, as you said, a healthy discussion there. There are. Um, uh, there's a lot of encroachment for sure, right? Uh, we're seeing uh, CRM and FSM and ITSM and all these different platforms start to creep into adjacent categories. Go, well, you know, if I'm using this for my support channel, should I just use it for my service channel? Should I just use it for my field techs? And of course, those vendors are all pushing for expansion potential. So I understand yeah. the agendas and that that's all fine. But the interoperability, it's kind of what I said in the room. It's got to be around open APIs. Every, every software solution that I've tried to bring to market, I've had clients pushing for us to build more reporting capabilities and import and ingest and export all the data. And the fact is, if, if I'm a great field service application, you don't want me to go waste a bunch of resources building a BI tool when you already have one. Yeah. And so letting those systems talk, I still think is about um, common platform connectivity more so than everybody just uh, uh, racing to add the functionality. Now that was supposed to happen with web architecture and there've been a couple waves of, you know, industry waves of technology saying, can we build a common, a common platform so they're all interoperable? But there's a, it's a market and it's a free market and there's uh, advanced features that people wanna restrict access to and, and that's a driver for adoption of their solution. So I still think, and, and, and I'll speak on behalf of Texi, open APIs so that we can either we, we deliver a platform that you can use standalone, but if you wanted to live inside of your CRM or ITSM or FSM, we're, we've built connectors and, and those integrations are for us as a smaller vendor about simplifying the use for our clients. So if you've already picked, you know, I'll pick my alma mater, Oracle, you've already picked their field service, then we should just be able to live inside and adjacent to it. You shouldn't have to work too hard. It's definitely on us as the IT vendors to make that work but there are capabilities that facilitate that. It's, and, and again, I love what the service council is considering about a, you know, kind of a standards uh, uh, organization that would define that. But today, APIs are the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, um, let's go to a different question. I'm gonna, I'm gonna re-toggle here in terms of our last couple questions here. Um, Ari, if I could position this one to you around, you know, you introduced the, the, the listening audience to, uh, to Texi, what is what? What's next for Texi? Right, you guys are at the forefront of the services industry in terms of AI and 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 really some sophisticated approaches to to service delivery and service optimization. What are you guys thinking about next? What's down the path? A couple, maybe a couple years that is uh, big ticket opportunities or something that's exciting that uh, you guys are are looking at as part of your roadmap. I would say that I think the next two years for, for most of our customers is going to be a race to capture as much data as possible mm. to power their AI. Yeah. Um, we are at this point now that like if your products are out in the field 
And I have CPG customers, you know, actually Church and Dwight, one of our uh, best CPG customers, the, the makers of Arm and & Hammer and shampoos and cat litter and all the stuff that you, they put baking soda into, just won a service award for moving to, uh, you know, visual uh, the visual service transformation. They, they, they incorporated visual into a lot more of what they do when customers call in, even about like CPG products. Being able to understand and capture that those images um, save those videos and turn that into the good basis of, uh, of how they build out AI in the future. It might be to design better packaging. If they see that customers have packaging that's degrading after a couple of months, they can go feed that back into, I just saw a really cool video about how AI is actually designing smarter structures to put on satellites, which are lighter weights, but more resilient. And it tends to look like bone structures of animals and people. Um, because that's how like we've evolved over a couple million years. And now the AI is saying this is the most um, efficient structure, you know, to save weight and, you know, you know, withstand all the torques and pressures of, of space travel. So companies right now are going to be on in a race to uh, capture this data. That's why Google, I think, is still succeeding. Like, Google's search engine is powered by such a massive amount of data and how we link to a things, how we, how much time we spend on sites. Is that a relevant thing to show us? And they are constantly doing, but it's built on such a massive, you know, data lead um, that companies now, how do I ingest all of my manuals into feeding, you know, AI? How do I capture images of my products in the wild to, to feed, you know, computer vision models? Um, I think that's really going to be the, the next uh, change in the companies that are going to succeed and be most innovative, you know, after the next couple of years um, are going to be able to build computer vision models with us. We want them to build them on their own. We'll give them the platforms to do that. Um, but the ones with the best data are the, are the ones that are going to win. David, I'll turn to you uh, as we close out our, our podcast today on you serving as a board member, thank you for your contributions as a board member. Um, would love your your perspective on the value you receive from from that uh, participation. Um, and then also, what, what's something you're looking forward to uh, either personally or professionally over the next uh, period of time? Um, our, our listening audience, I'm sure, would care to hear. Yeah, John, I, I can't thank you enough. It's been a great experience. I know we've known each other for many years and yeah. watching the Service Council grow and um, evolve and and become more of a, an arbiter of, of the direction of the industry, I think has been fantastic. And I'm just pleased and honored to participate in it. Um, it, it. I've gotten a lot of value out of the connections I've made. I've been really thrilled to be able to bring some clients in and have them start to participate uh, because I want them to have points of view across the industry, not just hear things from me that I think are important. And so that, that um, collective knowledge share has been incredibly helpful for me personally. Um, Outside of this, um, you know, um, I'm staring down the uh, the barrel of empty nests. I've got uh, two in college, one graduating and one uh, a junior in high school. I'm still spending an enormous amount of time. Uh, family is uh, very important for me, and I, I spend a lot of time with her. She travel, plays travel softball, so we're touring the country in the summer. But um, but also finding more time for myself and you know, turning some of those energies to fitness and charitable endeavors. And that's really uh, rewarding to be able to um, continue to rededicate my time to things that matter to me. And and so um, industry-wise, I'll just maybe close on that and pass it back to you. Um, 
I, I, I started reading sci-fi because technology was cool. I've been uh, thrilled to be, I started my career, as I said, as a tech analyst in 1994. Um, and uh, I, <laughs> I, I'm seeing things happen in the world that I read about 20 years ago and the reality. And to be able to participate in that and bring some of these capabilities, this democratized access to visual AI to market so our clients can use it, so their can, customers can benefit. This is why I do these scale-ups. This is why being yeah. attaching yourself <clears throat> to a great team with great technology. So the next few years with TechSea are going to be a big piece. Um, and and I'm excited to uh, to see what happens in our service industry. Thank you, thank you so much for the for the compliments, and thank you for serving in a board capacity. It's been a really rewarding relationship for us as well, personally and uh, organizationally. Um, we are so incredibly pleased, Ari. Thank you for joining David in the discussion, making this a three-headed uh, discussion here instead of two. Uh, I, I this has been very very informative. I, I'm sure our listening audience found this to be a very useful uh, hour spent with us. Um, I want to thank our, our panel, David Troll and Ari Rosenstein from TechSea, our partnering sponsor on today's in-service podcast. And I want to thank you for listening and participating. Uh, this podcast will be available on all the many different podcast channels you subscribe to, uh, so you can access them uh, there, or you can access them on our website. And I want to thank TechSea for uh, their partnership with the Service Council. It's been a very rewarding partnership. We will see you on the next in-service podcast. Thank you for joining. Have a wonderful rest of the week. Thank you so much. Thanks, Thanks John. Thanks, David.